This evening we have three scripture readings that we're going to share together. The first is found in Joel. It's a book that we really don't dive into a lot, but it's a book of, of great help to all of us. We're going to be reading from Joel, the second chapter, verses 1 and 2. Now blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, it is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor will ever be to come again. We're going to move to Matthew. We're going to read Matthew in the 6th chapter. We're going to read verses 1 to 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room Close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I'm going to Proverbs 28 chapter. I'm going to read verse 13. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. So I want to talk a little bit this evening about Lent, because some of you may not really understand Lent and Ash Wednesday, but we do want to, we do want to, to go over that some. I want to talk first about the, the Jewish people and their traditions. And people forget that Jesus was Jewish. The month of September is the holiest month in the year for the Jewish people. And that's when they usually celebrate their new year. And it's called Rosh Hashanah. And then there's 10 days following Rosh Hashanah of self-examination. That's a period of time when they look at their lives and you confess your sins from the past year. And on the 10th day, you ask God for forgiveness. And that 10th day is called Yom Kippur. And for a religious Jewish person, this is a very holy time. Now, Lent's a lot like that. The only difference is, instead of 10 days, uh, we get a self-examination of 40 days. I like to tell people that's because Gentiles usually sin four times more than the Jewish do. (laughs) So we need all that extra time we get to get things straightened out. When we say Lent is 40 days, that does not include Sundays between Ash Wednesday and Easter. Because Sundays are considered, are considered to be many 
in my NI Easter's. So that's why there's only 40 days. And if you look at your calendar, you go, yeah, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's more than 40 days. Well, it is. Sundays are not counted in that time. You may or may not know how Lent got started. And if you don't, I want to explain it to you. You won't find Lent in the Bible anywhere. There's no verse that says, thou shalt celebrate Lent. It's not going to be there. But around 230 A.D., there was a group of Christians who started fasting for 40 hours leading up to Easter. They were preparing their hearts for Easter. And pretty soon the idea caught on. And years later, they bumped it to seven days of fasting. And they called it Holy Week. And then in 325 A.D., the church officially made it 40 days. Maybe you're out there thinking, I'm, I'm sorry, Curtis, but there's no way that I'm going to fast for 40 days. And I would believe that. That's just out of the question. It's not going to happen. We're not going to do that. And my answer would be, that's okay. Uh, God is more concerned about what is in your heart than about what's in your refrigerator. I assure you that. In Mark 7, 18 to 20, Jesus says that it's not what goes in your mouth that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of your heart. The secret sins of your life that you can't quit. The grudges that you can't let go. Issues in your life that you can't resolve, or you could, but you refuse to. Maybe you've refused to forgive somebody. We should never forget that Jesus said, if you do not forgive, I will not forgive you. The fact of the matter is that no one's perfect, as much as we'd like to think that we are. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why Ash Wednesday is such a good thing. Uh, it's a chance for us to come clean. It's to clean the air, so to speak, between God and ourselves and to repent of our sins. True repentance. A repentance that will last. It's not just feeling sorry for yourself because you did something wrong. It's feeling sorry enough to change your life that is important about repentance. It means saying, I'm sorry for what I've done, but more so, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to give in to the same old sin anymore. And as of this moment, I'm making a change in my life, starting right now. Y'all learned a little bit from me being up here that, that I love to, to study the words that were used in the Greek language in the translation of the Bible. And there are two Greek words that are used for repentance. And the first one is metatoina, which means to change your mind. When you repent, you are changing your mind about sin and you're changing your mind about Christ Jesus. In Acts 2.38, when Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, he's using that word. He's saying that if you want to be right with God, you have to change your mind about the way you've been living. The second Greek word is anastrepho, which means to turn around. Changing your mind about sin is not good enough. You have to turn your life around and stop sinning. In John 5th chapter, Jesus heals a crippled man by the pool of Bethesda. You remember what he says? He said, you're okay physically, but you're not okay spiritually. You're messed up. You need to stop sinning, and something or something worse is going to happen to you. Think of it like this. Pam's not here, so I'll pick on her. Suppose Pam and I were leaving our house over here at the state line, and we were going to go to, she says, I want to go to Lee Mollins. Good, I'll drive. And we 
get on 82 and we head to town and I'm not paying attention and I miss the 45 exit. And I'm just driving along, happy as I can be. And she said, you missed your turn. I said, you know, what if I say, oh, I'm sorry. I went the wrong way, didn't I? She said, yeah, but I keep driving. I'm headed to Starkville. I'm not headed to Lee Mall. My apology is not enough to change us heading in the wrong direction. What I have to do is stop the car, don't I? I have to stop what I'm doing. I have to turn it around and start heading in the correct direction that Pam wanted me to take in the first place. That's like Lent. You can have good intentions of saying you're going to do something, but unless you turn around and do it, it means nothing to yourself or God. That's repentance. It's when you realize that your life is going in the wrong direction and you turn it around and you start heading toward Christ Jesus. In a very compact way, that's what Proverbs 28:13 told us. You have to confess your sins and you have to get it off your chest. I don't know if we have people in here tonight or those listening online that may have... Uh, been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous before, but they'll tell you the first step towards getting sober is being able to say, I have a problem. I'm an alcoholic, and once they can do this, you will find mercy and understanding and support. They have to admit, they have to confess, and then they have to turn their life around. The same thing is true with us, with God. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? I think most all of you do. It's one of the most common stories that we share in the Bible. Remember how disrespected the father felt by taking, um, when his son took his inheritance while the father was still alive? That was something that just doesn't happen back then. And it, it happens some now, but not as often. And he wasted it. He wasted it on alcohol. He wasted it on parties. And it was not until he hit rock bottom, is what the scripture says, that he realized the error of his ways. And he got up and he went back to his father and he said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and I have sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired men. And you remember how the father reacted? You know what he could have said? He said, you're not my son, you're a loser. He said, you're lousy. You're, you're no good low life. Get off of my property. That's not what he said, was it? Instead, he said, servants, bring me my best robe. Put it on my son. Put a ring on his feet. Sandals on his feet. My son's alive. I prayed for him to come back to me one day, and he did. And now I have him back safe and sound, and praise God. That is how God treats each and every person who comes back to him. If we go to him in humble repentance, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you can still come back to the Lord. I, I say many times to people, God accepts us where we are in life, no matter where you are and no matter what you're doing. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. He wants us to repent. He wants us to come back to him. Some of you may be familiar with the evangelist D.L. Moody. I read a story about him where he went to a prison and I assure you what he says is true in my ministry. I've had uh, quite a bit of time. started to say I've spent time in prison. But, and I have, but as a minister. Let me get that straight. 
Uh, Moody went to prison one time to preach to the inmates, and after he's finished speaking, a number of men were in the cells, and I promise you this is true. He went around to a lot of the men, and he said, what brought you here? And again and again, the, pri the prisoners told him, I don't deserve to be here. I was framed. I was faultlessly accused. I wasn't given a fair trial. Not one inmate admitted that he was guilty. And that's true of a lot of people in prison. I've found that only the ones that admit that they've done something wrong are the ones who usually make it when they get out. But finally, Moody found a man that had his face buried in his hands and he was crying and he said, what's wrong? The prisoner said, my sins are more than I can bear. And he was so relieved to find one man who would recognize his guilt and his need of forgiveness, the evangelist exclaimed, thank God. Thank God that you're turning yourself around. And Moody said, through Christ Jesus, I was able to help lead him to the Lord. Like the men in prison, whether we like it or not, we have to acknowledge that each and every one of us is a prisoner to our sin. But if we confess our sins openly, we will find mercy and forgiveness through God. And once we find forgiveness, God will forsake our sins forever. Proverbs 13 again said, whoever confesses and forsakes them finds mercy in God. See, we need to be so radically changed by the power of God. We need to be determined to get rid of anything in our lives that God doesn't want us to have. I don't know what that is for you, but you do. From from, from a young age, the youngest here to the oldest here, we know what we do that's not right. And we know that God does not appreciate what we do. See, that's what Ash Wednesday is all about. It's about getting rid of sin. It's about admitting to God that we are nothing but dust and ashes without Him in our lives. It's about confessing our sins and forsaking them forever and turning our whole lives over to Christ Jesus. It's not easy, but it's worth it. So tonight, I want to invite you to do this. Remember, God knows everything. It's not like you can hide anything from him. I've tried to do that. It doesn't work. He knows everything. He knows all about your sin that you've tried to hide from the world. He knows the thoughts that run through your head, and he knows that you can never be truly happy unless you hand it over to him. Also remember that God loves you. Isaiah 30, 18 says that he longs to be gracious to you. His arms are open wide. He's waiting for us to come back to him tonight. And I encourage you to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior if you have not. It's important. So Lent is a time for us to give up our sinful habits, our sinful attitudes, it's a time when we stand before God to ask him to forgive us, to wash our sins away, and to empower us to turn away from our sinful past and do live new lives that are dedicated to God. Lent is an attitude. It's an attitude of honesty. It's an attitude of humility as we confess our sins to God. But Lent is also an attitude of relief and joy. Knowing that your sins have been forgiven that our Lord's slate has been wiped clean as we seek to serve God going forward. 
So these next seven weeks is a time for you to look deeper into your heart, to think about the life that you're living and just how you've been living that life. What sins are you going to give up for Lent and for the rest of your life? Jesus will forgive that sin and he will wash that sin away at the cross. And Jesus promises to empower each and every one of us with a new life that glorifies not only him, but you too, that others can see Christ through you. Now, if people want to give up things for Lent as a sign of their love for the Savior, that's fine. But what Christ is really concerned about is what's in your heart. Tonight, we begin that long walk to the cross when we decide just how serious and terrible our sins are. But also there, we see how wonderful and deep our Savior's love for us is. Now remember this, too. The road does not end at the cross on that Friday night, but it ends at an empty tomb on Sunday morning where once again we will arise and we will proclaim to the world that we are Easter people indeed because we serve a risen Lord. My prayer is tonight that God would bless you on our Lenten journey as we go forth.